Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I have the immense pleasure of sitting down with rapper, author, podcaster, speaker, coach, and Oxford graduate, Zuby. Some of you may know him from Twitter, at Zuby Music, a true free thinker and somebody who doesn't give in to political correctness or anything like that. So I was very happy to hop on uh, the mic with him. We talked about a bunch of things, uh, starting with how to use Twitter correctly. Twitter is a tool that if leveraged correctly can do very beneficial things for you and your career. So we talked about that. Zuby's actually coming out with a class on the exact subject of leveraging Twitter to better your career. Uh, in a couple of weeks here, we talked about how people waste their lives, uh, basically hating other people. And they like the virtue signal that they're uh, good people and, and people you should want to hang out with. And then you look at their actions on Twitter specifically, and, and it doesn't seem to be the case. And, um, the, the, we also touched on the, um, the unhealthiness of, of letting politicians sort of dictate how you feel and letting these individuals that you have no control over or have never met, um, really affect your, your psyche in your life. And then on top, we talked about health and then Bitcoin, of course, um, so he's got some interesting thoughts on Bitcoin and its potential, uh, success in the future. He, he believes it may be limited to a certain extent. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. You guys already know all about them. All right, they're helping us do many things. They're helping us stack sats. They're helping us stack slivers of socks. And they're helping us save money at partner merchants with their boost program. And then on top of that, they're now a bank account. Uh, if you don't want to use a traditional bank, Cash App's becoming a new bank of the future. They all, they're offering uh, users bank account numbers and routing numbers. You can use it to uh, direct deposit funds into your account. If you want to get paid to the Cash App instead of a bank now, you can do that. It is possible. They're also helping people out with their stimulus checks, with their Trump bucks. Um, So if you're somebody who hasn't had a traditional bank account in the past, up to this point, you have the Cash App and you want to take advantage of their bank services, they're helping you uh, get your Trump bucks if you are eligible. Um, so they'll walk you through that process. Um, again, Cash App investing is there. If you want to stack a sliver of stock, you can buy as little as $1 because Cash App is now a bank or is connected to your bank. There's no four to five day waiting period. You can start investing today. Cash App investing is a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. As always, freaks, as always, use the code stacking sats. You're going to get $10 and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. Hoo, 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 hoo. Use the code Sacking Sats, download the Cash App, and enjoy this episode with Zuby. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Quick one hour rip, touched on a lot of subjects, uh, a very enlightened individual. Enjoy. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts. All, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce... What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty Bent, here. Monday morning episode. It's Monday morning where I am. It's uh, Monday afternoon where my guest is. I'd like to introduce you, freaks, to Zuby, author, uh, 
prolific tweeter and the the owner of the women's weightlifting title in England. Hey, what's going what's up, on, how dude? You doing? Yeah, I'm all good, doing, man. Doing good, man. Doing good. Really happy to have you uh, on the podcast right now. Again, like we were just saying before I hit record, uh, notice you've been tweeting more about Bitcoin recently. So just want to get your thoughts on Bitcoin, how you found Bitcoin, what you think of Bitcoin. And then beyond that, uh, again, I, I really appreciate your uh, ability to not cater to the PC, PC police, um, <laughs> to think for yourself and uh, in a very positive way to really try to encourage people to uh, make the best of their situation and try to make their life better. Um, so you're, you're working on a course of how to use Twitter productively. And I'm somebody who believes Twitter is one of the best tools that's ever been created from, from a communication standpoint, then networking, uh, the way this podcast is sort of built itself is, is on Twitter. Um, Mm. so I guess we can start with like just a little bit more background on yourself. How'd you get to tweeting about all this stuff, making this music, writing books, uh, and sort of, uh, a, a plethora of, of side hustles, it seems. Yeah. So, um, so primarily, um, Everything for me in terms of being any kind of public figure started out with being a musician. I'm an independent rapper. So far, I've released five albums and three EPs independently on my label, COM Entertainment. Put out my first release more than 10 years ago and, you know, sold tens of thousands of albums now independently without uh, being signed to a record label or anything like that. So everything for me started out with uh, just the music. And then stuff started really to diversify in 2018. I just, um, I used to very specifically not put out too much non-music related stuff on my social media, let alone anything political or too much social commentary or anything, you know, about religion or, you know, anything that could be considered controversial or sort of shows too much of my own personal beliefs, anything like that. I figured, you know, let me keep the personal personal and make the public stuff public. And then in 2018, due to a multiple of reasons, stuff started to shift a little bit and I found myself just articulating more of my own thoughts and sharing more of my own genuine beliefs and personality and everything like that and engaging people in conversation and creating discussions around that. And um, it turned out to be very, very popular. Um, And then of course, in February last year, I had a tweet go incredibly viral internationally, which was the uh, women's deadlift video where I identified as a woman for nine seconds and claimed to have broken, not broken, destroyed the British women's deadlift record. And then I broke the bench press one as well. And that video went crazy. The tweet did over 8 million impressions, was seen by people all over the world, ended up with a crazy amount of people, literally millions of people discovering me off of the back of that. And then following on from there, lots of people discovered my music and my podcast, Real Talk with Zuby, which I had also started at the beginning of last year, wrote and released my first book last year, Strong Advice. And stuff has just um, grown and diversified. And a lot of people know me for a lot of different things. You know, I've still got my audience, which is primarily just for my music and people who are fans of my music. And that's what they know about Zuby and that's what they care about and that's what they want. Then I also have fans who aren't even fans of my music and who are more into my podcast or my commentary or my interviews and whatever it may be. Uh, Then I've got other people who are more on board for the self-improvement and mindset stuff and fitness stuff. So anything I can offer people which I'm interested in and which I have some expertise and ability in, I'm happy, ready, willing, and able to do it. I've sort of changed my approach over the years from being 
think from thinking on a single track, just, okay, everything's got to be about the music to thinking, you know what, I'm just going to be me. I will be Zuby. And the people who are naturally drawn to that will be drawn to it. And you know, the people who it's not for, then that's fine. I cannot please everybody. I'm not interested in trying to please everybody. I'm just going to be me. I'll be authentic. I'll actually keep it real, not just pay lip service to that statement. And um, yeah, things have grown a lot since then. Yeah, I, I think that's what's drawn me to your Twitter account predominantly. Is that's where uh, that's how I I know you mainly is through your tweets. Uh, is the authenticity, a, and I think authenticity is something that's been lacking in culture in the last couple decades, particularly. Um, a lot of people are being driven to extremes and sort of forced to uh, fall in line with with uh, what a lot of I would say extremists. Uh, how they view the world, um, particularly yeah. the far left. Um, and people, uh, have been self-censoring a lot and it, mm-hmm. it seems like you don't do that at all. So, um, at what point did you realize that Twitter was like a powerful tool that, that you should sort of hone in on and, and leverage? Was it that tweet that went viral particularly or? Um, no, I mean, it was before that. So I've been on Twitter since 2009. So I've always seen the value in it and seen it being, seen how it can be useful in terms of communicating with and connecting directly with people. Um, so, I mean, before I tweeted that deadlift video, I mean, I had 19,000 followers at that time. So, you know, it wasn't like I, I had no audience or anything like that. A lot of people were already following me. A lot of people already knew me. It's just that that happened to be this, the piece of content that really, really sort of just blew things out the water and led to dozens of thousands of more people following me, which led to more opportunities to, go on some of the biggest podcasts in the world and be invited onto a lot of different radio programs and TV shows and everything like that. So I could not have foreseen that of all the things I do in the world, of all the things I've done in the world, that that nine second video would be the thing that so many people sort of ended up getting to know me for. But um, I think if that was all that I had to offer, then, you know, that would have dissipated and fizzled out very, very quickly. But in my case, due to all the work I've already put in and my personality and all the other things that I have to offer, um, I was able to sustain a lot of that interest of people who initially just, you know, came across a video that they thought was, was quite amusing. So, um, yeah, I think Twitter is a, a fantastic channel. I think it's the best social media platform by a long way. I don't even think it's, um, I don't actually think it's close. I, I, my big problem with Twitter is, you know, some of the aspects of the, of the moderation and things like that, but that's a problem across all the channels. But in terms of doing what it says on the tin an actual being an actual social network, right? Not just a platform to display videos or photos or whatever, in terms of actual social networking ability, I think Twitter hands down is the best of them by a very large margin. So um, I've seen the value in that for a while. And, um, as someone who who does a lot of things and has a lot of things to promote and likes to have conversations, then yeah, it's um it's really a it's really a wonderful platform. Yeah, it really is, and especially if you know how to use it. That's what I've been on Twitter. Yeah, since and most most 20, people don't, right? <laughs> so I've been on since 2011, and okay. I started a newsletter in 2017. And when I started the newsletter, I think I had like 500 followers. I never really knew how to leverage Twitter until I was using it to sort of. Uh, highlight my newsletter and promote my newsletter and then uh, Mm. people really liked the newsletter and they wanted a podcast so that's when I started DMing people and realizing that you could DM people and they'd answer just like you did Mm -hmm. Um, and I tweeted at you said DM me and we set this up Um, 
Most people use Twitter wrong, though. They don't know how to use it. They don't know how to filter. They don't know. Uh, most create. people are terrible at Twitter. Yeah. So how and most people how don't you... see the potential. Yeah, and most people don't see the potential of it either. That's the thing, right? I mean, it's funny when when I hear people talking all this trash about Twitter. I'm like, look, it's not. That's because you don't know how to use it, right? If you, if you, I mean, you can you can say that about any tool, right? It would be like saying that a car is terrible because you don't know how to drive. And it's like, well, the car is not. The car is a very useful tool, but if you've never learned how to drive and you're crashing into things, then yeah, of course it's going to be dangerous. Of course it's going to be harmful. Of course it's not going to get you to where you want to go. But if you know why you're using the platform and you have a goal and a motive that goes beyond just pure consumption or mind, you know, pointless entertainment, I don't want to say pointless entertainment, but mindless entertainment, let me say, then, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get much from it. And, um, you know, not everyone's a creator. Not everyone has things to promote. Not everyone is trying to grow an audience. And that's also, that's absolutely fine. Um, but in terms of the sort of positivity ratio to negativity ratio, then I think, you know, the vast majority of users could certainly manage that better. Cause I think a lot of people, the way they use Twitter and social media in general, in the grand scheme of things is probably more harmful for them than it is beneficial for them. I think that's, you know, now that we're 15 years into the social media experiment or whatever, I think that seems, it seems quite clear to me. And even if I look at data and statistics on certain things, it seems like that also seems to be a bearing out in, in that regard beyond the anecdotes. But um, all of these things, you know, they're just tools, platforms, opportunities. And, you know, with, with any tool you can choose, if someone gives you a knife, you know, you can, you can stab someone with a knife, you can stab yourself with a knife, or you can cut fruit and make food. So, it's just uh, the, the the tool itself is amoral and somewhat neutral, but um, it, it, what happens is who you interact with, how you interact, what you bring to the table, and how you choose to use it. So um, I'm actually working on a I've been working on a Twitter course that's going to help people to grow on Twitter and to monetize on Twitter and to really use the platform in a much better way than most people do. So that's actually going to be out in a couple of weeks from the point of recording this. Boss. And no, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, right? You get some of the best information in the world, and then you get the the hate replies, which if mm-hmm. you just go to a Trump tweet and, and scroll <laughs> scroll down, there's there's people who dedicate their lives to just responding yeah. to his tweets negatively. It's it's weird, isn't it? It's, you know, it's, people need to reevaluate their lives. I mean, I, I made a joke a couple months ago about how um, how Donald Trump is so good at real estate that he lives rent-free in the lives, in the minds of hundreds of millions of people which is, which is very, very true. And, you know, like I'm not, this, the, the thing with a lot of my commentary is it, it's funny because a lot of people take a lot of stuff, obviously Twitter, a lot of people take the, a lot of stuff the wrong way. And a lot of people, I don't think realize that um, one, I don't, I think a lot of people don't realize that I'm not as political as they think I am. Right. I think sometimes think people think if I make a comment about Trump, you know, I'm saying Trump, cause you, you know, you brought that in. So if I make a comment about Trump, I'm normally commenting from a sort of amused spectator perspective. Do you see what I mean? I'm not, I'm not commentating from a hardcore political pundit or like media personality or something who's there trying to analyze all of the ins and outs of the policies and this and that, right? I'm, I'm responding to the general you know, the more cultural aspects, the more psychological aspects or whatever, or even just stuff that I think is funny, right? If he posts a funny meme and I'm like, ha this is funny. And then someone is there talking to me about 
you know, with a budget deficit and stuff, I'm kind of like, that's not what I'm addressing here. Like, I get what you're saying, but I'm talking about a whole different thing. You know, I just like to very interested in human beings and psychology and dynamics of to that degree in the world. But um, I'm certainly not a journalist and uh, I am not a journalist. I'm not an activist. I'm not someone who's got some huge political aspirations or something like that. It's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a spectator, especially when it comes to stuff that's outside of my country. I mean, even stuff within my country, but outside, it's just like, I'm just sitting back here watching the show. I'm, I'm commentating on this like I'd commentate on a, on a sports match or like a TV show or something. You know what I mean? It's not like a, I'm not that deep into it. It's just uh, interesting to do stuff. And then, you know, also to just see people's responses, right? It's, it's fun to put something out there and then say, okay, let's see what, uh, let's see what comes back from this. No, I know exactly. I get accused of being a Trump supporter uh, quite a lot, quite a lot. Um, because I also think he's funny. He's hilarious. Well, yeah. Well, if, if, if you, if you don't hate him, then you are automatically, uh, you know, people will automatically assume that you're a, a psychophant. I've been called a Trump psychophant. I'm like, wow, I don't even, I, I think I probably have tweeted about the, I've probably mentioned Trump on Twitter out of 70,000 tweets. I've probably mentioned him. I'd be surprised if maybe a hundred max, you know, whereas, you know, you've got people who hate him who have literally thousands of tweets dedicated to the man, which is quite bizarre in itself. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, like, even if someone calls me a Trump supporter, I don't care. I mean, I'm not even American, so I don't even know what that means. Like, do I want, do I want world leaders in general to do well? Yeah. You know, like if I'm on a plane, am I supporting the pilot? Yeah. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, like, I don't care. Would I have been considered an Obama supporter when Obama was president? Again, I'm not even American, but whoever's the prime minister of the UK, I want the prime minister to do a good job, right? I'm a British citizen. I don't want the prime minister to, whether I voted for them or not, I don't want them to do a bad job or to like mess stuff up because it's like, well, I, I live in the country. Like we want things to go well. You're never going to get a world leader. I mean, this, politics is silly for a lot of reasons. But one reason why politics is, is kind of silly is, you know, people get firmly into these camps, but you're never re even going to get a politician that most people like. Right. Yeah, the number, the percentage of people who support, actively support a politician is always going to be the min minority. Even if you take someone who's popular, right, they're still going to have like maybe four, maybe at a, at a push, maybe like 30 or 40 percent of the population who's like genuinely strongly behind them. And then, I mean, most people don't even vote, do they? Like most people don't even vote. So. You know, you've already got sort of sixty percent of the population, or whatever, who who doesn't feel strongly enough in in any direction <laughs> to even participate in the process. And then, out of those who do, you've probably only got ten percent on either side who are like really, really, and they're the ones who make all the noise. So it seems like there's way more of them. But most people kind of want to get on with their life, sort of be left alone, not have their rights trampled on, be happy, feel able to send their kids to school and pay their bills and raise their family. And you know, I think. Twitter makes everything seem a lot more extreme than it, than it is in reality. Yeah. That's why filtering and, and knowing how to filter the, the signal through the noise on Twitter is so important. And yeah, I completely, I mean, that's, this is why Bitcoin, cause I, I, I view Bitcoin as a system that's completely uh, separated from the political system. Like I'm one of those people who doesn't vote because mm. I think South Park said it best. You're, you're voting between a turd sandwich and a douchebag at the end of the day. <laughs> <You're> really, <laughs> you're really, you really don't have 
you really don't have choice. It's an illusion of choice, in my opinion, voting. Yeah. Um, and that, but it is, it, and that's the one thing that has been interesting to see that people want him, Trump, to fail. So, like with the whole Russia Gate, the Russian bots, oh, gosh. this this whole coronavirus thing, people are just looking for him to fall on his face so they can say yeah, it's, it's weird. And and that's and that's uh, bad. It's weird because the the weirdest thing with the the Trump phenomenon. And we have some degree of it also here in the UK. It's probably a thing, you know, globally. Is people get so caught up in the in the sort of team aspect, right? Of like wanting their team to win, that they often just lose, you know, they lose a side of their own humanity, right? And it's funny because so many things that people accuse Trump of being, they themselves are being those things to a much larger degree. So if you're someone who, so let me, let me give it, let me give an example. Okay. Somebody will say that they don't like Trump because Trump is divisive. And then that same person will refuse to be friends with or interact with somebody who voted for Trump. And they'll unfriend any person who both in real life and on social media, who is a Trump supporter, right? They'll say that they think that he is intolerant towards certain people or he's being hateful and then you'll go on their timeline and they will be saying the most hateful awful things to people they'll be i mean here in the uk this is away from trump in the uk um boris johnson came down with the coronavirus you had people on twitter right who are labor supporters that's the opposition party here in the uk and they're there wishing death upon the prime minister because they disagree with his politics Right. They, they're, they want somebody to die because they disagree with their politics. And this same person will have will be the person who's talking about being kind and being tolerant and being, oh, this is, we should be we need to be nice to people. You'll go to their, their profile and they'll have something in their profile about how we should be kind and how they're sick of political division. And then they're there talking about how they want the prime minister to die because they, they disagree. And it's like, look, you've lost your you've lost your humanity. Right. What should be more important? Coming back to this coronavirus situation, what's more important, solving this pandemic or scoring political points, right? And that shouldn't be a hard question to answer. And it doesn't matter what side anybody is on, right? This isn't even aimed at one side or the other. It's like, look, this is a, it's a pandemic. It doesn't discriminate. It's a virus. It, it's not, it, it's, it's not part of a political team. It's not sexist. It's not racist. It's, it's a virus, right? It, 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 it hurts people. Okay. It makes people sick. And you've got people who have just lost the plot. They're so into the political aspect that they can't even take their brain outside of that for a moment and think, oh, okay, actually, this isn't really, this isn't really about politics, right? This is about like human lives. This is about health. This is about all that. But everyone's just trying to politicize it, politicize, politicize. And it gets tiring. And so coming back to what you're saying, I mean, if you, you, you have people, I mean, maybe they won't vocalize this. Some of them probably would. But not everyone will vocalize this, but you know, you have people who are out there and they're quietly hoping that Trump mishandles the situation because then that'll make it easier to beat him in the reelection. And by him mishandling the situation, they know that that means unnecessary, like people dying unnecessarily. But to that person or to certain people, that is, that's kind of collateral damage for them reaching their political goals. And I'm like, that's, that's effed up, right? That's actually evil. That, that's the actual evil. Do you see what I mean? If you're happy for people to die because it makes it easier for you to score political points, then you need to like take a long 
like go walk by the lake and look in the mirror, look in the lake and see a reflection and think about what your priorities in life should be. That's, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's incredibly sad too, that politics takes up so much real talk about real estate in people's minds. Like government is, is, I mean, when, at least here in the United States, the, uh, the, democratic republic that we put forth in 1776 the government was just supposed to do very little and now it's all anybody can talk about or anybody can focus on like imagine the creativity and ingenuity that would be unleashed if people didn't have to focus on politics and fight about it every waking hour of every day yeah you know it's it's a distraction and and people always draw these false binaries right i can post something saying something like look the government isn't going to save you if your life sucks it's not the government's fault and if your life is great, it's not because of the government, right? Unless you're living in some super totalitarian dictatorship or something like that. Obviously, I'm not talking about that. But if you live in the UK, the USA, Western Europe, whatever, the government is not going to make or break you, right? How many people who have you ever met who became successful because their candidate won, right? It's it's not a thing that that happens, right? That's always going to be on you. And it's weird. People draw this fake binary sort of like, oh, well, if you're saying that, you're saying that there should be no government or you're saying that none of this matters or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm not saying none of it matters, right? There is a, there's a value in having a government, right? especially if you're talking about certain, you know, there are certain things where, you know, unless someone's like a full blown hardcore anarchist, it's like, okay, like we need some semblance of a government for a multitude of reasons, but the expectation that they're going to do everything or they're going to, take you from being a loser basically to being someone who's like super successful it's like that's not that's not going to happen so all that time and energy and all of that it's like look you you can every four years yeah you know go and vote if you want to vote but what are you doing in the four years in between each of these cycles you know what i mean what is um were you were you super happy and successful when Obama was president and then Trump came and he he destroyed your family and took away your job? And no, no, he didn't. So it's like, look, whoever is in that seat, that's just one individual. And in a country like the US, I mean, you've got 330 million people. And I can assure you that one person is not, you know, <laughs> one person certainly should not in any way, shape or form have so much control over people's emotions and outcomes and success and everything like that. And the quicker people can realize that and detach themselves from it, even in a degree, then I think people will generally be happier. I think there will be naturally less um, less polarization and less division and less, you know, just judging people based on who they, you know, it's like, it's like we've, you've gone through all these strides to get rid of these other forms of, of bigotry and uh, discrimination and stuff. And now it's like, okay, or, you know, discriminating against people based on who they vote for <laughs> or what uh, what candidate they like or whatever. And that's like totally cool. And it's just, I don't know. I, it's very immature too. That's the funny thing is it's like really, really immature. So it's like a sort of four-year-old view of the world that, oh, I, I think this and this person thinks that. So the only way that's possible is because they're evil and I hate them. I mean, that's literally how a sort of three-year-old might look at the world. And it's sort of sad to see full-grown adults thinking that because someone you know has a slightly different view or likes a different candidate than they do that they can't interact or they can't be friends or they can't 
be cool with each other or work together or anything like that. I just think it's, um, I don't know, it's sad. And I, I wish people would just recenter themselves a little bit and, and sort of think about how, <laughs> I think people get embroiled in it so much for such a long period of time that they, they struggle to take that step back and just be like, hmm, does it make sense for me to be spending four years, spending, spending three hours a day for a four year period talking about someone or criticizing something that I've never, you know, criticizing someone I've never even met. Right. No matter who that person is. I don't know. Yeah. And it's almost like a subconscious tell too, that people don't want to uh, take personal responsibility for their own lives and, and take agency over their lives. They want to allocate uh, their strife to, to that one man mm -hmm. in office. Yeah. And, and this is the thing. And this is the problem. I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to, trying to empower people, you know, to be honest with you, I try to empower people in a, not in like a, not in a cheesy way, not in a sort of guru, you know, pokey sort of way, but is in, you know, like, yes, you have, you are the, you're the captain of your ship. No one is going to have a greater impact on your success or failure or happiness or whatever than you. This is just the truth, right? No politician, no sports team, no other, no, there's no other person. I mean, it's great to have awesome family, awesome friends, everything like that. But ultimately you are the person who, whoever you are, wherever you are, it does ultimately come down to you. Um, you can't control everything in life, but you can control how you behave. You can control how you react to things. You can make, choose to make good decisions or bad decisions. This goes across everything. I mean, you know, I'm really into my fitness. It goes across everything. This is the food you choose to eat every day. What do you choose to drink every day? Uh, do you choose to exercise or do you choose not to exercise? Do you choose to um, work on your dreams or do you just sit back and watch Netflix and play video games and expect magic to, ha magic to happen, right? Whatever it is you want to do, you have to take action and wherever you are in life, that's going to be the culmination of all those decisions. So what I try to do really is to look, just get people to realize that, you know, personal responsibility, it's become this sort of dirty term in a lot of people's brains. It's like everyone wants to outsource everything. They want to outsource their emotions, outsource their success, outsource their happiness, outsource everything. And it's like, look, if you rely on like, okay, a couple of weeks ago, for example, when, um, Bernie Sanders stepped out of the race generally. Okay. And you're seeing people on social media crying, crying. Okay. Or when Trump got like, and you see people cry, like crying actual tears, like screaming, like, like freaking as if, as if their, as if their mother or child has died. Right. Bawling. Not, not like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to sugar. I'm like, that's, that's freaking ridiculous. That is ridiculous, right? Whether your person wins or loses, what it's like, if you are crying and you're bawling your eyes out over it, you're in too deep, right? You're in, that means that you, you put your happiness, you put all your happiness, all your joy, everything that you need and want in life, you put that in someone who you do not even know. You put that in another human being and not just in a person, but in a process that you already know isn't necessarily even stacked in your favor. And it's like, why would you do that. People do the same with sports, right? Like I'm a, I like, I like sports in general, but I'm not, um, I'm not really a sports fan. Like I don't watch stuff. I don't follow stuff. I don't support teams, but it would be like me being, okay. I like, um, I like this soccer team. I, li I like Manchester United. Okay. 
if Manchester United win, then I'm happy. If they lose, I'm unhappy. And it's like, that is a crazy thing to do. I'm not even playing. I'm not even one of the players. <laughs> even the players should be able to be happy even if they lose the game. But it's like, I'm not, I'm not, I have no control over that whatsoever. It's not like directly there. And I just think it's so weird how, how, how many people are willing to live life like that and just put all their emotions and their success and whatever in other people when they could just be like, oh, you know what, actually, sure. I want, I, I would like for this person to win or this party, or I would like this sports team to win. I would like that to happen, whatever. But you know what? If it doesn't go my way, I'm still good, right? If it doesn't go my way, I can still achieve all of my goals in life. I can still be happy. I can still uh, find love and have a loving family. I can still have great friends. I can still enjoy my hobbies. I can still do my work. I can still do everything. And yeah, it's, um, I mean, I know why people, some people don't do that because it then means that the personal responsibility is on them, right? They don't have anything else to blame if they do that. But um, I do wish that more people would take that approach. And I do, that's sort of one of the underlying messages of everything that I, that I promote. Nah, and thank you for promoting it and spreading that message. <laughs> right. It is terribly important. If you, if you cheer harder, the team's not going to win. It's uh it's not how it works. And, exactly. uh, and it's, it is sad, but I do, I do think people are starting to wake up to this. It's like, cause things are uh, at least socially pretty bad. Everybody's driven to each side of mm. the polarization spectrum. Uh, and I think people are starting to wake up to the, the fact that mainstream media is just out there to manipulate you. And that's one thing I like yes. you tweeted the other day as well is I like you haven't been watching TV or, or mainstream TV in quite some time. And mm-hmm. the importance of unplugging from that and plugging into good sources when filtered correctly, like Twitter, um, mm-hmm. is, is infinitely good for your, for your well-being and your in the state of your, your psyche overall. Yeah, man, definitely. I mean, um, I don't know. You've just got to, there's almost everything around us, certainly anything that is, that comes from a government or a corporation is designed to influence you in some way, shape or form. Right. And this isn't, this isn't me saying that the me, that this is normally nefarious or anything like that. Right. Companies are trying to sell products and services and governments are trying to shift people this way or shift people that way or whatever. But if you understand that everything, like if you're watching the news, there is a reason they want you to watch the news. If you're watching uh, something on Netflix or you're watching like whatever, everything is always trying to influence you and is also influencing you. Uh, Now, some people are more easily influenced than others, but we all are, we all get influenced by things. And I think people need to just consider what their what what an optimal balance is right rather than just allowing themselves to kind of sit in some sort of vegetative state and just have stuff sort of channeled into their brain and being told what to think told what to believe told what is you know everything and they're not questioning it then that that becomes a, that becomes a problem so i'm not someone who thinks that i think i mean i don't know if this is just people being obtuse i, I know people sometimes don't use use their brains properly so when i did that tweet about for i think i said something about i haven't had a tv since 2009 um a lot of people <laughs> firstly it's funny how strongly people wanted to defend their tvs but um <laughs> uh, you know it's like i'm not even talking about i'm not even talking about the tv as the tool 
when I say TV, I'm talking about television programming, right? I'm talking about the mainstream stuff that most people are going to be watching, whether that's uh, big news channels or that is um, like certain, you know, popular reality TV shows or whatever. A lot of it is, oh, some of it is just garbage, but um, a lot of it is, like I said, it, it's designed to influence you. And it's less, it's less of an issue to watch stuff when you know that that's happening. But if people are in that world for so long, it's like they don't even realize what's going on. I mean, if, if I sit down and I watch, like when I was in the States last year, um, I mean, it's funny in the States because when you go to different houses, it's like you have the Fox News households and you have the uh, CNN households. And it was like, <laughs> and with, depending on which one, you know, you've got that giant TV in the corner or on the wall. And depending on which one is on, you can see how strongly that influences and reinforces what people already believe or which way people are already leaning or feeling it. You can have the same conversation. If you have this one conversation in the CNN house, and then you have that same conversation in the Fox News house, it's like they're what it's like they're almost in different worlds. You see what I mean? It's and because they're, they're and they don't want to like really cross that cross that gap either. And that's just something that I found quite interesting. And, and it, it shows the power of it. I know with the uh, with the internet and stuff being more decentralized and us being able to control stuff more, we have a lot more influence and control over these things. But when it comes to TV, it is literally programming, right? People are programmed through channels. And I think with a lot of the, a lot of the rhetoric people use, a lot of the thoughts people have, a lot of it, you know, people think that the ideas are coming from them, but in many cases, they're not. They're really sort of just regurgitating or repeating things that they have heard, whether they're right or wrong. You know, sometimes they're, sometimes those things are not even factually correct. And I think that's, um, like you said, I do think people are slowly waking up to it more, but I, I think the, the great awakening is still a way away, I think. You think so? I think, yes, I uh, do think so. Hmm. I'm, I'm more optimistic. It's, it's close around the corner. I, and that's probably because I focus on Bitcoin a lot and just uh, being part of that sort of build out and focusing yeah. on Bitcoin and, and noticing the, the power that it gives the individual. Yeah, sure. Um, well, that already puts you in the 1%. Yeah. yeah. Why, do you think, <laughs> why, huh? why do you think it's going to take longer? Well, look, I mean, the, what I mean is the fact that you are even the fact that you and I could even have a conversation about Bitcoin is a sign that you're not even remotely close to being in the majority. Right. So if you're talking about the masses of people, right, if you're talking about the majority, I mean, what percentage of people even really know what Bitcoin is? Right. You're, you're very much an early adopter. You just on that, you're it's clear you're already someone who sees and thinks somewhat differently because the normal, the average person in the majority right now just thinks that, you know, if they've even heard of Bitcoin, then they probably think it's a scam or a Ponzi scheme, or it doesn't make sense, or it has no value because it's not backed by the government or whatever. Like they're still, that's the, that's the mainstream way of thinking, right? That's the main way of thinking. So even by being intrigued by Bitcoin, you are already showing yourself to be somewhat of a rebel compared to the majority of people, let alone being someone who's, who believes in it and is like, okay. So if you talk to, I, like, I, okay, here's, here's an example. So with what we were just saying, I imagine if you spoke to people in the Bitcoin world, all of them already will know that, oh yeah, the media, of course, of course the media is biased. Of course the political systems like that. Of course the they already know that, 
right? Because they're <laughs> you're you're speaking to kind of a a very select group of people who are like already enlightened in one regard. So it's quite likely they're already enlightened in a lot of these other regards. But um, when I say it will take longer for that great awakening, I mean for that to cross over into, I don't know, 50% plus of the population being like, oh, okay, I see how this is working. And, you know, just, just questioning stuff a little bit more. It doesn't mean you don't believe anything or whatever, but just being a little more like, hmm, a little more skeptical, a little bit more aware of how certain things are going on. Yeah, well, I think this coronavirus global lockdown is having people quarantined in their homes, starting starting to question a lot going on going on yeah. the internet and listening to yeah, interviews it, like this. Yeah, man, it it will it'll take time. I don't know. I think this is, this is kind of a non-statement, but I think it means something. You know, the majority is the majority is always going to be the majority, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe in some some of these regards, some of these sort of fringe or minority ideas will eventually become the mainstream and majority ones. But um, by something being on the fringe, by definition, it already means that it's not, it's not mainstream. It's not something that the vast majority of people have adopted or are thinking or using or whatever. So stuff that is on the fringe, you know, but stuff that's on the fringe, by the time it becomes mainstream, then there's, there's something else that's on the fringe. And that's just kind of how it works. Just like in music, you've always got the underground. And an artist can go from underground to mainstream, um, but you're always going to have the underground, right? When, when that happens, then there's another artist or another band or whatever who kind of comes up to that under, underground place. And um, I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see here. We'll see here. In terms of some, you know, if talking Bitcoin specifically, I do think there's a strong potential for large scale adoption. Um, to what degree that goes. I do not know. I think that's dependent on a whole lot of factors, but I think it'll certainly, um, I mean, I don't know what percentage of the population holds or uses Bitcoin right now, but um, you know, I think it's certainly got potential to 10, 20, 30, 50 X. I don't know if it'll ever be, uh, you know, I, I know you have some people who are in the Bitcoin world who think that it's going to sort of totally, sort of totally disrupt and replace the entire monetary systems and replace entire currencies and things like that. I'm quite skeptical of that view. Um, I think it'll cause some, uh, certainly cause some disruption. And I think it has a very strong use case and a lot of room for growth and adoption. Are we going to live in a world which is, you know, everything we pay for is in Satoshis and there's no, <laughs> there's no dollars and there's no pounds and stuff like that. I don't think so, but I think that there will be sort of parallel, parallel systems and the system that is currently on the fringe will you know reach a stage where it might even still be minority but it's everyone's at least heard of it and considered it or maybe uses it to some degree i'm one of those psychos i believe will be on a bitcoin standard one day okay there we go okay yeah. no i don't think it, i don't think it's psycho i just don't think it's um i i don't think that yeah i i, I see I, there i think there are too many challenges for that to happen for me to think that is the most likely thing. Do I think it's possible? I think most things are possible. Um, but I think that, yeah, it would take, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what, what stage the U S would be like, you know what, like, we're not even going to make these dollars. Right. That's just, or yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I think there, there are too many first, firstly, I, I just think human beings, 
I think the concept of Bitcoin, maybe if it can be really, really simplified and sort of dumbed down in a way, then that will seriously help adoption. But I think Bitcoin is too complicated for the average person. It's, as it stands right now, I mean, I'm a computer science graduate. Like I'm, I totally get it. I understand how money works in general, right? I, I understand money better than the average person in terms of some of the flaws of the current monetary system and economics and all that. Most people don't have a clue about any of this stuff. Um, so even if trying to explain Bitcoin to most people is difficult, it can be done, but it's difficult. And I think until it becomes somehow like very simple and very easy and very easy to use too, right? So you don't have to memorize this code or use this, you know, just when stuff becomes like really, really simple, then I think there'll be much greater adoption. Um, but there are, as it currently stands there, there are still a lot of challenges, I think, in that regard. Yeah, I think it's just going to take time. I think it may take like a full generation for it to, mm. to get to a threshold of adoption that, that would put it on, on the world stage as a, as a currency competing with the dollar and the pound. Wow. Um, how much would it be? How but, much would one Bitcoin be worth by then? Uh, the math on that. It's a, I mean, gold market cap, like seven trillion is like 300,000. So the, the, the Bitcoin argument is that there's never been a better store value uh, mm -hmm. to exist on the planet. And so you have opportunity cost with store value. Uh, you can choose gold, you can choose real estate, you can uh, invest in the stock, stock market and chase yield. But the fact that there's only 21 million Bitcoins, you can audit the ledger. It's not centrally controlled. It's going to be very hard to if not impossible to to raise that 21 million cap you have certainty that it is going to be a store of value if you buy x amount of satoshis you the percentage that those satoshis represent of the overall pies is, is going to be static and so in a world in which other stores of value like gold and real estate their supply is even though it's not growing at an insane pace it is still growing and uh Bitcoin is just a better option. And so from the Austrian view, the Austrian economic point of view, if we believe that uh, there is a truly open competitive market for currencies, the one with the best properties, the best hard money property is going to win out in the long run. So people will, the opportunity cost of not storing your value in a hard currency like Bitcoin, as opposed to something else is going to get, too high at a certain point certainly not there yet at 130 billion dollar market cap but as uh, people keep adopting it and people keep learning about it and as it gets e easier to use um, it'll become more apparent to people uh, and the opportunity cost of holding a bunch of your value in real estate or the stock market uh, as opposed to, to bitcoin will will be too high and that's, the, that's say, the thesis so yeah, I understand it from a theoretical point, but on on a human point, do you know what immediately makes me think that that's the 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 immediate thing that comes to my mind? There is that most people don't even have most people don't even have savings, and most people don't even invest in the stock market, and most people don't own any gold as it stands. So, and these things have been around for a very for a, for a very very long time, and most people like most people don't even save money, like the money we already have. Like people aren't even thinking about what vehicle to put it into or whatever. If if you're already thinking that way, if ooh, do I go real estate, stock market, uh, Bitcoin, gold, you're already in the minority. 
like just by even thinking that. Well, that um, it bring, brings up a very, very good point as well. It's that has not always been the case. It's a sort of a, a product of our current condition. And the, so yeah. that's why when people talk about politics and red team versus blue team, I sort of roll my eyes. I'm like, that's not the problem. The money's the problem. The, mm-hmm. the easy, easy monetary policies that existed uh, since 1971, since the U.S. went off the gold standard, has been uh, sort of the cause for a lot of pain in the economy. And it's the reason why people can't save because the debasement of the currency is, number one, force both parents into the workforce. And then if they are both in the workforce, sometimes... Uh, one or both are working multiple jobs or working paycheck to paycheck. We're at a point here in the States where 60% of Americans can't afford uh, a $400 emergency yeah. expense or something That's like that. Yeah. And so, but that has not always been the case. It's their yeah. purchasing power. They don't have a, they don't have a vehicle through which they can save because their purchasing power is being inflated away over yeah, time. I, so. I, I, I get that aspect. I certainly understand what you're, what you're saying. And I, and I agree with a lot of it. Um, I just think this, this is what comes, what I've just learned and what I just believe on the world is, and it's part of why I, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy theories and I enjoy understanding different like ways of viewing things or different like, you know, ideologies, whether that's economic systems or political systems or whatever. And humans are always going to human. It's like, it's like, you know, the, the problem is, you know, Sure, money has the, there are these issues with the current monetary system. The bigger issue is that people are freaking awful with money. <laughs> right? like, you know, that, that, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the bigger issue. Sure, could the system be changed so that um, it makes it easier for people to save or people to invest or whatever? Sure, right? Could wages perhaps be raised in this way or could that happen? Sure. But the average person is just bad with money. So no matter how perfect the money were, no matter how ideal the system is, whatever, unless it comes accompanied with like, you know, going, going, starting with children, right? Unless it comes with some super hardcore education on economics and understanding money and everything like that, then it's just like you have people who have, you know, who have six figure salaries and they still live very paycheck to paycheck because they're not, you, 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 you could have someone who's like got a low salary, but actually is really, really good with money. And you can have someone who like actually earns a lot, but they're just terrible. <laughs> you know, they're terrible at managing it and they don't know how to use it and whatever. And they just, so, and unfortunately, maybe, maybe this is, I'm an optimistic person, but I'm, I'm pessimistic on this front in that I just think, one, I just think human beings, you know, there's always going to just be a percentage of human beings who are, and I think it's going to be a majority who are just not great at any particular, you know, at that. If you take anything that there's a capacity to be good at, then the majority of people are always not going to be good at it. You know, like if you t- if you take any one thing, then it's like the majority are never are not going to be good at it. We we were talking earlier about uh, using Twitter. Okay, like there's 300 million people on Twitter every month, and the people who use Twitter really well, um, is it five five percent maybe, right? <laughs> maybe five percent of all those users sort of use the thing well. Uh, it could be anything. It could be a physical activity. It could be a sport. It could be anything, right? The majority at that one thing, most people are good at something, but if you take any one thing, I just think the majority are always not going to be good at it. And then I also think in terms of sort of the, 
the gov when you add in the government and you know, the media and the educational system and all that like unless all of that is really overhauled then i think there is unfortunately i think unfortunately there's quite a lot of incentive to keep people somewhat in the dark you know i don't oh, think yeah. that it's really to the benefit of uh the, the government for them to be broadcasting how many dollars they print every day or to be showing people the the ins and outs of this or that or you know and it's and it's unfortunate i i feel the same way when it comes to health and nutrition right i mean the it's crazy i mean if you want to talk about education the two things that seem glaringly obvious that should be like very strongly in the educational system is like money and economics and finances like that whole world and then like health and fitness and nutrition and all that because no matter who you are you're going to deal with health and you're going to deal with money right no matter who you are what you do where you live health and money are two things that are important to understand how to manage for every single adult and as we've already said most people are bad at both of them and i don't think that is this is my, this is my conspiracy hat coming on here i don't know if that is accidental right i don't think it's necessary accidental that most americans or most british people don't know how to manage calories or how to you know ex or why exercise is so important or why you should eat this instead of that or whatever like i think people are intentionally left in the dark because there is some you know unfortunately there are benefits to certain people to do that so i think unless you go out on there on your own accord and really want to learn about that and go okay i'm going to you mentioned Austrian economics earlier. Who who even knows what Austrian economics is? I know what it is. Do most people, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but yeah. you weren't taught that in school, I'm sure. No, I wasn't. I studied yeah. economics in school. We did not touch on Austrian. Exactly. Uh, um, <laughs> Ke Keynesian yeah. and uh, what's the other? Neoliberal Keynesian, basically. That's what I was uh, force-fed and a little bit of mon monetary mm -hmm. theory. Um, no, but I completely agree. I, I, I would say there are... If uh, there are incentives to not have people uh, aware of of these facts that they should be healthy and they should care about the money, I mean, yeah, who was it? Henry Ford that said if people knew how the banking system was run, they'd they'd riot in, in a day. <laughs> um, and then, like, any, if anything, this coronavirus thing is really driving that home. You know, like, who was the most susceptible to to succumbing to this this virus? It's obese people, older people. But after older people, it's obese people, and yeah. uh, all the all the solutions to the problem, and like vaccines and and uh, and medicines, and nobody's talked about preventative health. Like actually, maybe yeah. you should work out, and eat right. Look, we need to we need when people say healthcare, they need to change what they even mean by that because ninety percent of healthcare is on you, right? Healthcare shouldn't just mean like, oh crap, I've had a crash and I now need help. Healthcare should be, healthcare is what you choose to eat every day. Healthcare is your exercise regime. Healthcare is your daily habits. Healthcare is how you handle your relationships and communications with other people. It's what you view on social media and what you input into your brain, your eyes and your ears. All of that is healthcare, right? Like the majority of healthcare is, it's, it's on you. Like I take care of my health every day. That's healthcare. I don't know why people think it just comes down to what doctors and nurses and surgeons can do for you. Sure, that, that's like, that, sh that should be called emergency healthcare. <laughs> Right, because that's when something is already, oh crap, something's gone wrong. You've, you've got a virus. Oh, you broke your leg or something. Okay, now I need some emergency healthcare. But the healthcare is, you know, not running and playing in the street to begin with. So I don't, you know, hurt myself or 
avoiding doing certain things or, you know, exercising or whatever, because that's all prevention. And I think, um, yeah, certainly as a modern society and a modern Western world, and maybe globally, we, we focus too much on the cure rather than the, rather than the prevention and prevention is important. And as we said earlier, you know, you have a lot more control over the pre- prevention than you, you do the cure in most cases. It's a lot easier to not get, you know, it's a lot easier to, it's a lot easier to not get obese than to go from obese to healthy. It can be done, right? Of course, of course, someone who's very overweight can become healthy again, but you know what? It's, it's, if I have a recommendation for someone, I recommend you don't let yourself get to that stage to begin with, right? I recommend you don't get, you know, I recommend you don't get yourself in $50,000 debt because it's a lot harder to, it's easier to not get in that debt <laughs> than to be in it and then, you know, claw your way out of it. And um, yeah, human, humans are weird. It comes back to what I was saying. Humans are going to human, right? People are happy to lock themselves up for months on end and lose their jobs and everything because of a virus that has a 0.1% chance of, of killing them if they're in certain demographics. But that same person, you know, will look at me weird if I tell them to um, stop drinking five times a week and to go to the gym. I don't know. It's weird. Right. It is. <laughs> you get the fluoride stare when you say that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. <laughs> when I'm, when I promote exercise and nutrition, some people look at me like I'm some kind of alien or whatever. Or people come with the whole like, oh, you're shaming people or you're trying to tell people what to do or what. It's like, Okay. You know, if you think that um, if you think that diseases care about your being politically correct, then um, we have another thing in store for you. You know, as you said, coronavirus, it's it's much more dangerous if people are obese. It's much more dangerous if people smoke. Right. All these things that people have been trying to excuse for all these time and say, oh, it has no effect. It has no effect on what it does. It doesn't care. Like facts are facts. Okay, someone might not like to hear that being 100 pounds overweight is putting them at risk of a whole bunch of diseases and problems. People don't want to hear that. It's uncomfortable, but it's like, that's the truth. Someone saying that isn't trying to necessarily fat shame you or they're not saying it because they don't like you or what. In fact, maybe quite the opposite, right? Maybe they want you to live. Maybe they want you to be, to be healthier and they don't want you to die of heart disease or diabetes or whatever. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think this is, this is part of why I'm very, um, it's part of why I'm very anti-political correctness in some regards, because I think that, too much political correctness is actually very dangerous, right? It's actually dangerous because you can't tell the truth. And if you can't tell the truth, then that should be concerning for a lot of levels. I mean, it's concerning for a health level. If, um, if a doctor is trying to be politically correct and, you know, they get a patient who is morbidly obese and in the name of political correctness and feelings, the doctor doesn't want to just tell them the truth and be like, look, you need to lose all of this you need to lose a lot of this weight or you're going to be in big trouble right they want to dance around and society wants to tell them oh no you can be healthy at any size or you know big is beautiful and body positivity and this i'm like you're you're killing people you're not the one who's being nice you're killing people with that advice right you're killing them by coddling in such a way and it's better to i'd rather be the person who's viewed as like a villain for being like look this is the real this is the reality and some people don't like that and some people may attack me for it or whatever but it's like look i'm just gonna I'm not going to go out of my way to like be offensive or insulting to people or whatever. And I really don't do that. But ultimately the truth is just the truth. You know, if someone is a, and, and it's weird because people do this in different ways, right? If someone is like a very heavy smoker, then 
people are okay generally with saying like, okay, that's not good. That's not healthy. That's giving, putting you at risk of this and risk of that or whatever. But if it's someone who is, you know, instead of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, they're eating five pizzas a day, then suddenly people are very hesitant to want to let that person know or say generally, not even targeted at an individual say, okay, like that's, that's the problem, right? That's not, not good. That's bad for health. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a little bit of a rant there, but <laughs> yeah. just my thoughts on some of that. Yeah, and I go back to the incentives. It's just easier for the doctor to be like, hey, take this pill. You got high, you got high blood pressure. Take this pill. It should help you with it. Of and course it is. Yeah. He may, he may be making money on the back end on that. Again, go back to incentives. Yeah. Like, is the healthcare system actually incentivized to get people healthier? It's one of the biggest it's industries it's in the world. It's a very good question. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, very good question. Um, I don't know. But, but um, again, stuff comes back to personal responsibility. And in fact, people should be more willing to take personal responsibility once they understand that no one else is guaranteed to have your best interests in mind besides you. Right? You know, maybe the healthcare, maybe the healthcare industry does have some ulterior motives or perverse incentives. Maybe the government has some ulterior motives or perverse incentives. Maybe the media has that, maybe all this. So it's like, okay, so the best you can do is, you know, you can't avoid everything and you don't want to, but have that awareness, you know, at least do what you can personally to put yourself in the best position possible, you know, mentally, financially, relationships, health, everything, you know, do what you can. And yeah, you know, sometimes stuff will go wrong, but you know what, most of the time it'll go right if you make good decisions. I agree. One of the one of the uh, action items you tweeted out the other day I'm actually trying to do is to leave my phone outside the bedroom when I go to bed. That's one thing. Oh, I, definitely I'm do that, man. You'll you'll sleep you'll sleep a lot better. Turn it off and just leave it in like another whole another room. Yeah. Um yeah. trying to do that. No, I'm bad with that. I'm just like always scrolling through Twitter late at night like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. But well, yeah, <laughs> we're um we're an hour in here. What uh what do you have coming up? You have this this course coming up. You mm. got your book Strong Advice that's been out for a while. Did I see you have an album coming out as well. Uh I've got a single coming out. A single coming out, yeah. Yeah, a single coming out on the eighth of May. That's called Okay Dude. Um hopefully we'll have a music video for it too. Um I've got my book out right now, Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody. That's available through my website, teamzuby.com on ebook and audiobook. I'll do another paperback run later in the year, but that's currently sold out. And then, um, yeah, I've got a new course coming out with my friend, uh, Jose Rosado, uh, that is going to be called conquering Twitter. So that is going to be teaching people how to grow and engage on Twitter, build a fanatical audience, sell items, create courses, make money. Um, so anyone who wants to really sort of step up their Twitter game and go from using it as something that's sort of aimless and pointless to being something that they can really grow through and build their business or start a business and actually make friends, make money, improve their overall life through it, then we're going to teach people how to do that. Boss, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, thank you for all you do. Uh, I think the freaks are going to love this episode. Um, yeah, keep crushing it, man. Most welcome. Peace and love, freaks. Thank you.